Well, this is part three, part number last of Fatally Distracted, and, and I hope that you've been with us and that if you've been with us, I hope that your eyes have been opened and that you've started to discover, hey, here's some areas where I think I'm being distracted from what matters most. So we started this whole series looking at this idea, vain pursuits. What is it that we're pursuing with our life? What is it that we're, we're doing with our life that really is just in, in vain and, and it really doesn't matter? And so we looked and said, hey, when we start looking at identifying some of these things, it's where we become aware. It's where we become aware and we start to ponder. And as we ponder, go, hey, I think my life could be different. And so maybe I need to change. And so as we ponder through that, we start to discover what we value. And as we discover what we value, then we go, okay, at least I know what I value, but we discovered there's a gap between what we value and what we prioritize. And so we've got to start making uh, up for this big gap that separates these two, so we'll start to prioritize for what it is that we value. And when we start prioritizing, when we begin to live that out and make that part of who we are, then we just start to own it. And we now own that change that we wanted when we first became aware of how our life could be better. Last week, we looked at this search, the searching for identity. And as we looked at the searching for identity, I, I started by asking this question. It was a big question. It was an intimidating question. And this question, it asks, what are you doing with your life? And that is, it, it, it's this huge question. What are you doing with your life? And I even shared with you that I, I think I know what the answer is. And the answer is, is that we're searching for our identity. That that's what we're doing. We're searching for who am I and how am I going to be, and, and, and that's what we do. And we looked at these two different pursuits of identity, that there is a traditional pursuit, and in this traditional pursuit of identity, traditional identity, it is very objective. It, it's from the outside, and there's these standards, and we start using these to determine, hey, that's who I am. And then we looked and said, hey, there's another identity, and that is modern identity. In modern identity, it's subjective. It's where we're going, hey, I'm going to look from within to determine who I am. And I'm, I'm going to answer that question for myself. And I, I don't need anything on the outside telling me who or what I am. That when it comes to this traditional identity, we shared that, that there's some questions that if this is what you're pursuing, that, that this is some questions that you end up asking yourself. That you ask the question of what duties do I have? Because there's this sense of, of duty that, that you, you begin to ask yourself, what, what sacrifices could I make that could benefit somebody else? That, that when you have this traditional identity, that, that you understand this value of self-sacrifice for the benefit of others. That, that when you have this traditional identity, it, it asks this question, what can I do to honor others? And we looked and we said, there's this character that we got introduced to over 25 years ago, that this character that we were introduced to that really showcases what this traditional identity is. And we looked at this cartoon movie character, Simba, from the movie Lion King, and saw here is somebody who as an adult, as an adult lion, understood this traditional identity. It's a sense of, of duty and honor and self-sacrifice. It's a sense of conformity and dependence. And, and we look at this and we see this is, this is what he saw. And he started to become this. But then when it comes to modern identity, it, it asks some questions too. 
It asks, well, what ambitions do I have? It, it asks, well, what, what, what am I worth? And it even asks, who gets to tell me what I am? Who gets to evaluate me and say something about me? That it asks these questions. And Disney Studios didn't just give us somebody for a traditional. They gave us somebody for modern. And we look just a, at this character that we got introduced to just a few years ago, Elsa. And how here was somebody that started to live out her life with this modern identity. So as we look and we think and we ponder about fatally distracted, and we wrap this up today, let's, let's just think about this word, distracted. Because see, with this word distracted, this is what I want you to understand about this word. That distracted is, is where there is a division. There's, there's this dividing. There is this, there is this pulling apart. That, that's what distracted is. And so when, when we are fatally distracted, we've got something that's pulling us one way and something that's trying to pull us another. And one of those is more valuable to us than the other. And that we've got to understand that and go, hey, so what am I going to do to make sure that, that I'm going to give what is more important, what is more valuable, my time, my attention, my affection, what am I going to do? I, I want to share with you a, a couple of thoughts that, that weren't originally thoughts that I had when I started this series and started doing the work on this. But I've been hearing from some of you guys I've had an email, I've had conversations with a few of you guys, and some of the things that you're telling me are some changes that you have made because you understood this gap between what you value and what you prioritized, and you started to close that gap and prioritize. Well, I got this email, and in this email, I was introduced to a guy named Cal Newport, and he's an associate professor at Georgetown University, he's written a few books. And, and the person that emailed me had just finished reading his book, Digital Millennialism. It's, and, and it had a subtitle, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World. And it just had, it had everything to do with, with what we've been talking about and the distractions that come. And I want to share with you a quote that he gave me from Cal Newport. Focus is the new IQ in the knowledge economy. And individuals who cultivate their ability to concentrate without distractions will thrive. That's pretty insightful. And individuals who cultivate their ability to concentrate will thrive. When we concentrate on, hey, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? What is it that I'm supposed to be about? What is this time for? That's where there's going to be a thriving. We have become so fatally distracted <laughs> that what we end up doing is we try to prove that we matter to people we don't like. We try to prove that we matter to people we don't even trust. We try to prove that we matter to, to people we don't know. We even try to prove that we matter to people that we will never get the chance to meet. And we put ourselves out there on the media channels and, and we, do, we just try to prove that we matter. One last quote from Cal Newport. He says, this thing, and he was referring to our smart devices. 
He says, this thing is a slot machine. And every time I check my phone, I'm playing a slot machine to see what did I get. There's a whole playbook of techniques that get, that get used to get you using the product for as long as possible. In this last statement, because he's done all of this research, he's a computer science guy teaching there, and, and so he's just digging in and seeing what's happening in the technology sector. This last part of this quote, Silicon Valley is programming people, not apps. And, and when I read that, I, I started going, wouldn't it be that it's programming people, not just apps? And as I started reading more and more about this guy, I realized, no, he said exactly what he meant. That, that, that the app is just a means to an end because it's all about programming people. And, and, and in this book, Digital Millennialism, it, it's all about what are these companies doing to try to get you addicted to their apps? Because they're trying to program you and then they're going to sell you on things and advertise and market to you and, and that, that you really become the product within this. And, and we all have been. We have been distracted. And, and, and when you are distracted, that people, they only get a part of you. They don't get all of you. That, that when you're distracted, that they don't get all of you. They only get a part of you. And, and you know what part they get? The leftover. That's, that's what we give them, that we give them the leftovers. So, so who, gets, who gets your leftovers? Is it your spouse? Is it your significant other? Is that who's getting your leftovers? If you're raising kids right now, are your kids, are they the ones, are they getting the leftovers? Who's getting the leftovers? Is it your friends? Is it your coworkers? Is it the team that you're part of? Worse yet, is it God? Is it God that, that's getting the leftovers? Because when we are distracted, we are divided. There is a division. There's this pulling apart. And others are only getting the leftovers. So we're going we're gonna to finish today in the series by looking at this thought. How to defeat distractions. How do we do this? How, how do we defeat distractions. Maybe, maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you are in church for the first time or the first time in a very long time. Maybe for you, you've been going, you know what, I don't know that I really need God and I certainly don't know that I really need the church, but maybe something's happened in your life and, and you go, you know what, I, I think I'm going to try church. And, and that you found yourself here today and I don't think you're here by accident and I don't think you're here as a coincidence. But I just believe that, that God and his spirit just prompts us and leads us. And that you might need to be here today to hear about how you have been living a distracted life. And how you can find focus in it. And so let's look at this together. How to defeat distractions. Number one, there's going to be three of them. Realize you are in a spiritual battle. You don't have to be somebody that you're even a Christian. You don't have to be somebody that goes to church to, to be somebody that you have interest in spiritual things. The spirituality, it's on the rise. Church attendance, it's, it's, it's on the decline. But, but spirituality and interest in spiritual things, it is on the rise. And, and we need to realize that, that we 
are in a spiritual battle. And as we look at this and try to discover this, that, that I, I love what Sam Levinson has said. Lead us not into temptation. Just tell us where it is. We'll find it. <laughs> you know, I'm not even sure we need to be told where it is. We'll find it. Because we do. We, we, we find temptation, and it certainly finds us. And we do. We need to realize that, that we are in a spiritual battle. We're, we're going to go to the, the very first book in our Bible, Genesis. This book, it's all about the beginnings. And, and so if, you don't, if you're not familiar with this or this is just a refresh, it kind of goes like this. Chapters 1 and 2 deal with creation. And it deals with being introduced to, to Adam and to Eve and, and God laying out some standards. And we get to see that. The animals, they get named. And, and so we, we kind of finish the first two chapters and all is well and all is peaceful. And then we get to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, there is a temptation. There's this temptation that there's a serpent and, and the serpent is speaking and, and the serpent starts doing some tempting and, and Eve gets tempted and Adam gets tempted and they end up caving into this temptation and they end up sinning. They get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. First God clothes them to cover their shame, their nakedness. He covers that and then he removes them from the garden and it's not just an act of punishment, it's an act of mercy. And so he does. And then we get to chapter 4. And chapter 4 is where we're going to be right now. Because that's where we see they had kids. They had kids. And we get introduced to, to, to the two that, that really are the standouts. And that is Cain and Abel. Abel and Cain. We get introduced to them. So Genesis chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 2. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. So Abel's shepherd Cain is a, is a rancher, I mean, Abel's a rancher, and Cain is a farmer, is what we see with this. Verse 3, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. And we might look at that and go, wow, that's, that's kind of neat and nice. And, and look, he's being grateful, there's gratitude, and he's going, hey, I, I've farmed these, I've cultivated, I've harvested it now, and I'm just going to give some of these to God. Verse 4, Abel also brought a gift. But there's a description. The best portion of his firstborn lambs from his flock. That, that when we look at this, we get to see that, that Abel, he, he starts looking and scanning and figuring out, hey, what's the best? I'm going to give God some of the best. Cain, when, when, when he had harvested, he went, oh, here's, here's some. Let, let me go give God some. Not best, but some. So continuing in verse 4, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. Now, they're both giving something to God. But God accepts Abel and his gift, and he doesn't accept Cain, and he doesn't accept Cain's gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. So I, I think for Cain, that, that he wanted to have his cake and eat it too. That, that, that hey, here's my best, and so I don't want to give that up, and I don't want to do, have anything happen to that. And so I'm just going to give you a, a little bit over here. God, here, here's some crumbs, because I, I want this for myself. And, and I've got these big dreams and ambitions, and I want to be able to have all this field, and I'm going to keep growing. And, and so he doesn't give God his best. There is a... 
a book that was written a long time ago that, that has gotten so much traction. It is still being read today. It's called Mere Christianity, written by C.S. Lewis. And he says, A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. <laughs> that good people, they, they do know what temptation means, right? Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. And a man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. This sheltered life, this sense of, hey, I, there's temptation. It's just kind of an invitation to do. And so, yeah, let, let's just do. And it's this shelter. They, they don't know what this tension and this frustration is to go, hey, I, I want and I want to do, but I know I shouldn't, so I'm not going to. And, and, and they, they've, they've lived this sheltered life of not knowing what that's like is what C.S. Lewis is talking about here. And maybe, maybe that was true of Cain. That he really didn't know what temptation was, and, and he was just like, hey, I've never really felt it because I just kind of do that. It's not tempting me, and I'm resisting. God, as he's interacting with Cain, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? It's so interesting because when we look here in Genesis chapter 4, we're not too far into the whole creation account, and we're already dealing with two different people. One's got a traditional identity, and one's got a modern. That, that Abel, he, he's somebody that goes, hey, there's a sense of, of honor and, and, and duty and, and self-sacrifice. That there's a sense of conformity, and, and I want to be like God and follow and do for him what I could do for him. That there's a dependence. I'm going to depend on him for my flock and how that's going to continue to grow. So I'm going to give him the best. That I understood my, my, my role, it's a defined role, and I'm, I, I'm just a subject to who God is. And, and then we look and we go, hey, there's, there's Cain. And when it comes to Cain, what's he want? He, he, he's chasing his happiness and his dreams. Well, I want to be happy, so I'm not going to give you the best, because that, that best should be for me. And, and I got dreams. I, I want to have bigger fields, and I want to have more crops. Did you know? And he goes, hey, it's not about self It's about self-expression. And he just continues this path. It's about, he, he wants to be unique and he wants to be different. He wants to be independent. He doesn't want to follow any defined roles. He's rejecting the roles. And we see this right here in Genesis chapter 4. Verse 7. God says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. That, that's what sin is. It, it, it's why when we look at our temptations that they can seem so small sometimes. Because see, what sin does is, is sin is it, it's, it's crouching. And it's trying to minimize itself and not show us it's not too, too big, right? That, that, that when we first get seen and there's this temptation, it's not like, you know, it doesn't come at us like that. Instead, it's just like, slowly crawling toward us. We see a little movement. We kind of get used to it. Oh, it's just, but what is its goal? That, that sin, what it wants to do is it wants to control us. Sin is an adversary that desires to destroy you. 
That's what sin is. It's an adversary. It's this enemy. And it, it wants to destroy you. We have to recognize, realize we are in a spiritual battle. And Cain wasn't aware of his sin. You know, temptation, temptation knows for you, for me, it, it knows where we are most vulnerable. It does. It, it, it's, it's why we, we can be around some other people and, and, and they might get tempted to do something that we would never be tempted. You, you might be somebody that, that your integrity could never, never be tempted to be broken. Because to, to, it's, just, it's just who you are. You own that. That is yours. But you might be around somebody that that's, that's not their strength. And, and they can be easily, easily, easily tempted. And they lose their integrity. That that's, but but maybe, maybe, maybe for you, it, it's, it's the language and the, the colorful way that you speak or, or the way that you degrade people. Maybe for you, that that's, that's your weakness. You get tempted to do, and you just go all loose where, where that's not even a temptation for them. That, that, that it comes at us where we are most vulnerable. And, and this is what God said to Cain. He says, but you must subdue it. What's he talking about? He's talking about sin. Okay? It's crouching. Okay? But you must subdue it and be its master. The, the sin wants to master you, but, but you need to master it. So I kind of want to illustrate it this way. We, we, we all know what it's like to be able to have a birthday and, and celebrate, celebrate our birthday. And, you know, we, we don't remember this one, though, right? None of us do. <laughs> we, don't, we don't remember our, our very first birthday. We, we don't remember what that's like, you know. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, the whole Pinterest effect of what they've done to, to babies' first birthdays. Because you can see parents going all out on, a, on their first birthday. And then the kids are going to have a, no memory of it. You know, it's like, well, I'm going to show you some photos later. So it's going to be worth it, right? You know, whatever it is that they do. But, but we, we don't remember our first one, but we remember others. And you know what happens every time you get together with, with friends or family. And, and they come out and they, they bring you whatever cake that they bring you, you know. And, and they put the candle out. They, they light the candle. And then they tell you to do something. Make a... Make a wish. They tell you, you make a wish. You know, and when you're young and you're first learning about this, you know what else they tell you? Don't tell anybody what it is. Right? That's what we say. Don't tell anybody because if you tell somebody, what do we say? It won't come true. Right? And so, so we do all this. We, we say all this. Okay. And then we say, blow it out. And so they, they come over and we're like, okay. And, and we do. We, we, we blow out the candle. And as we, we blow out the candle, we think, okay, we've done it. We conquered it. <laughs> okay, well, so we, you know, we, we've got we to take a big deep breath. We've got to make sure that, that we blow it out and we're done with it, you know. Um, well, what they don't teach you is, there, you deal with it, you're done, right? You know, really, that, that's a kind of a silly way to show you this. Well, what God said to Cain, he said, sin is what? It's crouching. It's crouching at your door, and it wants to master you. It wants to what? Control you. But he said to him, you must subdue it. And too many times, we treat temptation like a trick candle. Just, okay, I, 
I tried to deal with it. <laughs> I want you back. Okay, I'll take it then. But we have to subdue it. We must be the master over the sin. That we are in a spiritual battle. There is this force that just keeps coming after us unless we subdue it. So the first thing, yes, realize you are in a spiritual battle. How to defeat distractions, number two, re, it's fix your thoughts. That you got to take, fix them. Where are you going to direct your thoughts? You have to fix your thoughts. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, we see how the, the Philippians were, were given this instruction. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right, pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That's where our thoughts need to go. Think about things that are what? That are excellent and that are worthy of praise. Romans 8, 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about sinful things. That if that's what's just kind of dominating and taking over our lives, that that's what we think about. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. It's what we do unless we get distracted. This fix your thoughts, it's different than just having a thought. Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples. And as he's having this conversation with his disciples, he asks them, hey, who, who, who do people say that I am? And so his disciples start answering this and they start telling him of, of people that, that they're there are people that have already come, and they've already gone. Most of them have died. One of them hadn't yet, but, but he wasn't on earth anymore. He just, he just went. He was gone. And then he asks this. He says, okay, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter said, you are the Messiah. That's, that's what, what Peter said, the son of the living God. Peter said this, and let's look, let's pick it up from here. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 17. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. You didn't learn it from, from anybody. But God showed you that I am this long-awaited one, the Messiah, Christ. That, that's who I am. That, that Peter's thoughts about Jesus, that they recognize as thoughts that what? They come from God. And then we just get four verses later. Verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, that he would be killed, and on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. You don't get this in any other religion. That, that, that Jesus is the only one who said, hey, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to me before it happens to me. I'm going to tell you how it's going to happen to me. But I also want you to know that three days later, I'm going to overcome the death that they thought was the victory over me. And I'm going to come back to life and I'm going to show back up. It's only in Christianity. It's what separates it from everything else. But as he does this and he shares all of this, he says this to fulfill the purpose 
for which he's come. That, that his purpose, that being this ultimate sacrifice of sin, and he's letting them know and, and unpacking this. Verse 22, but Peter took him aside. He, he pulls them over, takes him aside. But Peter took him aside, and he began to reprimand. Can you imagine the audacity? Here's Jesus reprimand. I mean, here's Peter reprimanding Jesus, reprimanding him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. And Peter had lost the focus that he had had moments earlier. Where, where, where his, his focus is, is, it was fixed on God and what God wanted him to know. And he was fatally distracted by his own desires and his own opinions. Verse 23, Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. Now Peter, Peter wasn't actually Satan but, but he knows that this temptation from Satan is coming his way. And he says, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You know what Jesus is doing right here? He's subduing sin. He's subduing what is trying to come after him. And Jesus was saying, your words, they are a distraction to me. Your words could be a fatal distraction. So get away from me because you're this dangerous trap. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And that's what gets us in trouble more than anything else. Is when we get so comfortable and so content just looking at things from a human point of view. Instead of seeking to understand, okay, God, what do you have going on? What is it that you want? How is it that you want to use me in this? And Peter's thoughts, that they, they were recognized as thoughts about God when he said, You're all, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. But later, Peter's thoughts about Jesus, they are rebuked as from Satan. That's how quickly we can get distracted. So we need to fix our thoughts not settle for just random thoughts, but fix our thoughts. Number three, keep your eyes on Jesus. How to defeat distractions? Keep your eyes on Jesus. We have this book called Hebrews in the New Testament. And, and there's a chapter in Hebrews that we refer to this as the faith chapter. And in and, and this faith chapter... It talks about several people that were really heroes of the faith. They, they were martyrs. The things that they went through to stay true and to stand up for God and for, your, for Jesus. And, and, and we get to read about them. And, and right after that chapter ends, then becomes the pep rally for the believers that are still alive today. Chapter 12. Let's look at this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Let, let us strip off every distraction. Let's, let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. How do we run it? With endurance. It's not sprint it and then kind of go, okay, I'm exhausted and I'm not going to do anything anymore. It's endurance. It's a pace. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion 
who initiates and perfects our faith. And because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the, endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne that he endured. And I think the reason Jesus was able to endure is because he recognized, he knew that he was in a spiritual battle. He knew it. He's known it from the beginning. That, that he knew, he knew he had to fix his thoughts. And he did. And he kept his eyes on the prize. That's what he did. It, now, now, now the prize was, was that he had to do this ultimate sacrifice to redeem humanity. So that we could be right before our Heavenly Father. Last passage. Near the end of our Bible, 1 John chapter 2. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. Who's writing it? It's the only disciple that was there when Jesus was actually being crucified. It was the only one that actually watched him hang on the cross. Everyone else scattered. And it's John, he's writing this. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if. Conditional. There, there's this condition that says, hey, you, you actually can be sure. You can actually know beyond doubt. Do I know Jesus? What, 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 is, what is that condition? He lays it out. We obey his commandments. That's it. That, that's, that's how we know. He says, if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. And that is how we know we are living in him. When we get away from the distractions, that we don't give God our leftovers. We give him the best part of who we are. That's what we need to be doing. Charles Stanley, he's a pastor. He's been pastoring more years than I've been alive. Still going strong. He, he has said this. He said, too many Christians have a commitment of convenience. They'll stay faithful as long as it's safe and it doesn't involve risk, rejection, or criticism. Instead of standing alone in the face of challenge or temptation, they check to see which way their friends are going. That's a distraction. We don't need to look to see which way they're going to determine which way we're going to go. We need to have our, our focus fixed and know which way we're going to go. And yeah, we can look to see where they're going and going, hey, don't be going, come, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And help get them back on the right path. That's why I love that, that we do small groups around here. These community groups, we call ours journey teams, 
to get people connected, to get people in a place where, where you, can, you can grow, you can have some dialogue, some spiritual dialogue. You can be praying for one another. You can be caring for one another. I love that, that, that for us, that, that small groups, it's what allows us to keep growing small as a church as we keep growing larger. And it's something that we need to be doing. And small groups, if you're not part of it, it's one of the ways that helps you develop an endurance to keep running the race of faith. And so here's a challenge. The challenge for the series as a whole is that we need to defeat the distractions to focus on what matters most. That's the challenge. Will you do that? Will you defeat the distractions? Will you do that by focusing on what matters most? We've been growing in an online viewership, whether it's streaming or whether people are watching it later. And this is for you, that, that if you're somebody that, that you connect with us digitally, that, that we would love to be able to pray with you if you need that. And you can text PRAY247 to 555-888, and we would love to pray for you. That if you're here, our care team is going to be here at the end, and we would love to be praying for you if you'd be willing to come forward and share with our prayer team. How can we pray for you to defeat the distractions by focusing on what matters most? Let's pray. God, you have given us so much, so much love. God, you've you've given us so much direction and instruction. God, I pray that we would be willing to to follow what you have directed us, what what you've directed us in and, and, and what you've allowed us to be able to have that lets us know you and know how you want us to live our lives. God, I pray that we would value relationships more, more than the stuff. God, that that you would become the the, the center of our lives and that everything else would, would come after you. God, help us to live a life that is not fatally distracted, but instead that's fully focused on living for you. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.